I uh, awoke uh, the other morning and that song was in my mind and I didn't want to get rid of it I kept replaying it in my mind so my mental playlist and I even sang it not like George <laughs> but I was uh, making melody to the Lord in my heart and it's good to be reminded that what really matters ultimately what matters and we appreciate that rendition of that beautiful song in fact let me just give you a little history you mind the words come from a British cricketer an athlete C.T. Studd he inherited a lot of money and he began to give it away to the work of the Lord saved a little bit for his fiancee to give to her he got married and he went to the mission field he was motivated by those words that I believe he is the one who penned soon this life will pass only what is done for Christ will last he lived it out with his resources and with his mission work may God help us to mimic that reality in our own lives well we're still in the Sermon on the Mount and if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 6 we're in verse 10 we're working our way through the disciples prayer the disciples prayer it has taken me longer than I originally anticipated because there's much here to unfold and today we're in verse 10 and that is the verse which we will uh, expound verse 10 of Matthew chapter 6 reads as follows your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven your will be done on earth as it is in heaven how to pray part 3 the Christian's desire to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven is indicative of a heart that seeks God's glory such a heart is a new heart implanted in the soul by God at salvation it is the heart that beatitude people possess this new heart that kind of heart loves God and it prioritizes the things of the kingdom of God such people also manifest Christ likeness those people who love God and want to see his kingdom established and to see his will done on earth are like Jesus Christ for Jesus said in John chapter 4 verse 34 quote my food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work our Lord's supreme satisfaction was doing the will of the father Christians that seek to glorify God who want his will done on earth find satisfaction in the father's will it signals that you are like your savior it signals that you're growing in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ the third petition in the disciples prayer that I just read you your will be done on earth as it is in heaven 
is logically and inseparably linked to the two previous petitions. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Christians who seek the glory of God above all things want to see God's name hallowed. They want to see his name honored. They want to see his name glorified. They want to see his name reverenced. They want the reality of who he is known to people that they may give him glory and honor. They also want his kingdom to come. They want him to reign on earth in all its forms. And as we see here this morning, as Jesus teaches us how to pray, the content of our prayers, the people who desire the glory of God above all things, they want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. They, they want his will on earth to be in sync with heaven's what's going on up there. They, they want the harmony of obedience to God that expressed in heaven to be seen here on earth. They want his will to be done. A couple of decades ago, some of you perhaps remember this if you're old enough or paid attention. Certain TV preachers and others who followed them taught that Christians should not pray, quote, your will be done. Or even end a prayer with, if it be your will. Rather, they counsel, uh, but tell God what you want. That was blatant heresy. It is heresy. Jesus commands his followers to pray this way. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is the authority on how to pray. And what is to be included in our prayers. Any instruction contrary to that of the Lord Jesus's should be treated like rotten meat thrown out. God's will is supreme because God is supreme. So we're to ask that his will be done. And that's what we're looking at here. The heading, simply this, for the remainder of this verse is his will. His will. The significance of his will is brought out in this petition by, a petition by the Greek word order. It reads, as in heaven, so on earth. You get that? As in heaven, so on earth. That's the order in the original language. The order of the words give emphasis to this petition. It emphasizes the importance of the will of God being done on earth. Jesus emphasizes and underscores that. Once God's will done on earth earth as it is in heaven you may recall what Matthew chapter 5 verse 35 says says are by the earth for it is the footstool of his feet talking about the throne of God describes earth as God's footstool and, and makes clear that he rules on earth and is fulfilling his sovereign plan in the events of history even now However, by Jesus' teaching us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, our Lord is teaching us that life on earth is not all that God ultimately intends it to be. The problem is not that 
God's plan is thwarted, but simply that its implementation is incomplete. You get that? God's plan is not being thwarted. He is going to work out his plan. He's going to work out his will. He is doing that even now, but it is incomplete. God's will on earth will not be fully and finally accomplished until all human rebellion is crushed. So all human rebellion is crushed. We live in a, a universe that's filled with anarchists. We live in a universe that's filled with people who think they have the right to do what they want to do. It's the foundation of sin. But one day, God is going to crush all human rebellion. And do understand, this is a cosmic rebellion that we're experiencing. The supernatural beings, their rebellion, the unholy angels, the fallen ones, the demons, and unsaved men. But yet, through it all, God is getting his well done in one sense but in another sense it is not being done so we need to distinguish the senses or the aspects of God's will that the Bible presents to us we need to make these distinctions the distinctions so we can understand what we're saying here in that there are some aspects of God's will being done and there are aspects of God's will that are not the first one this is a sub-point to explain this. The decretive will of God. Decretive will of God. This is God's sovereign hidden will. God has sovereignly ordained everything that comes to pass in the world. Indeed, in the universe. And this will can never be frustrated. In eternity past, the triune God determined what would transpire in history, in time, on earth, and in the universe. Everything was planned, meticulously. God decreed it. He said, this is what's going to happen. We can be sure then that nothing happens over which he is not in control. Scripture, in fact, amply attests to the control of God over everything. You can go throughout all of the scripture and you can see from Genesis 1-1 the Revelation 22-18 that God is in control. Let me just throw in an example. The death of Christ. It was planned in eternity past. What Pilate and the, and the high priest, the Jews and the Romans, all of them did was part of God's predetermined plan to bring salvation to us. He was in control. Let me give you a couple of other examples of God's planning being worked out. His decretive will being done. Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. Listen to me as I read this. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times which have not been done. Saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good purpose. End of quote. In other words, God said, I'm God. I can declare what's going to be at the end 
from the beginning. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen, and there's nobody that can stop me because there's nobody big enough to do it because there's nobody like me. I'll accomplish my purpose. Resist about God who works all things after the counsel of his will. Including the fact that we've been predestined as believers to the adoptions of sons. Sons, God has worked all of that out. He predestined that. He marked that out, planned that before the universe was ever created. He is working out his plan. He decreed it. He planned it. He spoke. It is being done. That's the decretive will of God. That's one aspect of God's will that we distinguish from the Bible teaches us. There's another aspect of God's will, and that is the preceptive will of God. The preceptive will of God. This is God's revealed will. His will disclosed in his law, in his word, his commandments. And his moral law, in fact, is stamped upon human beings, isn't it? Every human being understands the moral law of God. They never have to read the Ten Commandments and know that stealing is wrong. Because God has implanted that upon the human heart. And the conscience bears witness. That's why people try to mess with their conscience. They, they don't want their conscience. And you know that was wrong. Because the law of God is written on their heart. Romans chapter 2. It's the moral will of God. It's the perceptive will of God to explain it further. And that law is to be obeyed. Now, men have the power to thwart this will. And they do so on a daily basis, do they not? And they do it with this three-letter word, sin. Oh, let me add something here, because I know somebody said, well, wait, 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 he's working, what about sin? Did you not know that God ordained the rise of sin in his universe? And evil. That didn't catch him by surprise. He didn't say when Adam sinned, oh, didn't see that coming. No, God had ordained even that. Now, listen to this. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're asking that God's will be obeyed and that He will bring history to the glorious conclusion that he has ordained. That's what we're doing. When you read this, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You're saying, God, cause men to obey your moral law and also bring history to the conclusion that you have ordained. That is how we're to live. That is how we're to pray. That is what God wants us to do. That's how we're to to come before the Lord. That's how we, our prayer life then makes sense. In fact, by the way, when we pray this prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, this is a prayer of holy rebellion. We're saying that we're not going to be content with the sinful status quo. We're saying, no, God, we see things aren't consistent with your will. They're not like they are in heaven. And we're asking you to see to it that your will be done on earth. We align ourselves with the mind of God. Holy rebellion. We pray then for both the moral obedience of people and the bringing to pass of certain events. When we pray this petition. 
What events, you may ask? Events such as the defeat of evil forever. And that's coming. But we're to pray to that end. The coming of his kingdom, as we saw last time, your kingdom come, the A portion of verse 10. We're, we're asking him to bring in the messianic kingdom, the kingdom over which Jesus Christ will rule and reign for a thousand years on this planet. Lord, bring that. And then we move on into the eternal state, the heavenly kingdom, as Paul terms it. We're also praying that all of this will redound to the glory of God. So our petition to our Father in heaven is for the present and for the future. That's what we're doing when we pray this prayer. And I'm going to tell you, you know, people pray this prayer a lot of times and they kind of think it's some kind of magic thing when they're, um, when they're um, shall we say, uh, wanting to bring God into it. And, and they'll pray this prayer and they have no idea what they're praying. Just words that sound good. But this is what Jesus is saying. By the way, I should have told you all this three or four sermons ago. I'm going to tell you now. Did you know early Christians will not even allow unbelievers to pray this prayer because it starts off our father? He said, y'all can't pray that because he's not your father. <laughs> I like to do that at a, with a football team. They gather around before the big game, get our father. I say, stop. If you don't know the Lord, you can't pray that prayer legitimately. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earlier, it was noted that God's will has an aspect of, of what he has decreed. That he's decreed certain events. Certain uh, things will indeed come to pass because he determined that before the creation of the heavens and the earth. They will be done. And believers who understand this, when they, they understand the sovereignty of God and all of this, it can be a problem for them. It can cause them to fail to pray, your will be done on earth. Because they reason, wait, 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 if his will is going to be done anyway, according to what the Bible teaches, these things are inevitable, why pray for the inevitable is the reason. They reason that way. Why pray for that which is going to happen? Why pray for something that cannot be stopped? Why pray for something that God is going to bring to pass? Why should I do that? Well, may I answer your question? First of all, because do it. We are to be obedient to the will of God for our lives and our prayer life. And that includes this petition. We exhibit our obedience to him when we pray this prayer. Second. To think that the inevitability of a matter that God has decreed excuses us from praying, your will be done, overlooks what the Bible teaches elsewhere. It overlooks especially what Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 18. Go there with me, if you will. Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Let me say it again, restate it. Christ is going to come. He is going to set up his kingdom. There will be the eternal state. 
May I say it again? Christ is going to come. That's been prophesied in the Old Testament. It's prophesied in the New Testament. It's going to happen, right? But should we pray about it? If you said yes, you answer correctly. Luke chapter 18. Jesus teaches this truth in a parable about where to pray for the second coming of Christ, though it's inevitable, though it's been determined in eternity past that he's going to come, yet we are to pray that way. Our Lord in Luke chapter 18, 1, tells a parable. Look what he says in verse 1. Now he's telling them a parable to show that all, at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. Now let me set this up, the context. In chapter 17, beginning at verse 22, and he said to his disciples, the days will come when you will long to see when the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Jesus referring to himself in the third person, of course. They will say to you, look there, look here, do not go away and do not run after them. For just like the lightning, when it flashes out of one part of the sky, shines to the other part of the sky, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, uh, you don't have to go looking for him someplace or have somebody say, oh, he's over there, he's over there. No, no. When he comes, he says lightning. When lightning strikes, you don't say, where is it? You see it, right? And just as it happened, verse 26, in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, so on. Uh, the same in the days of Lot, eating and drinking and building and so on. Judgment came, verse 29. Verse 30, it will be just the same on the day the Son of Man is revealed. The rev revelation there is talking about his coming. So the context here in which we find ourselves in chapter 18 is the second coming of Christ. You say, oh, really? Show me again. Okay. <laughs> Verse 8 of Luke 18. I tell you, he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man, what? Comes. Will he find faith on earth? He's talking about his return. Chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, all the way down through verse 8 of verse 18. Okay, let's just pull out a few uh, things here in this text, in this parable. There's a certain city. A judge lived there. He didn't fear God. He didn't obey God, didn't reverence God. He didn't respect man. He is an awful guy. There's a widow. She's helpless. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection for my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but after he said to himself, even though I do not fear God or, 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 nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. He said, I'm just going to get rid of this woman because I'm sick of her bugging me. That's not in the Greek. That's me. <laughs> now, this is a parable. Because it says it in verse 1. A parable to show that all, at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. And verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Hear 
with the unrighteous judge said. He's going to do it now. Verse 7. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? Let me unpack it here for a moment. Lose heart. He says in verse 1, don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't stop praying. The judge finally gives a widow what she wants. How much more will God, who perfectly loves the elect, that's all the redeemed, will bring about justice for them who cry out to him. Do understand, Christians are persecuted, the word of God is ignored, God is dishonored, and we live in a world like that, it's going to get worse. If you don't know that, you haven't read the Bible. Now, look what he says. Here in verse 7, And will he delay long over them? Delay long can be translated this way, Be patient over them. You know why there is a delay in the second coming of Jesus Christ? It's for the sake of the elect. Christ is waiting to come. And the Father is waiting to send him because he's bringing in the elect, those whom he's chosen to salvation. I am glad he waited until I came. We're living in that time between the first and... And we're to be praying for him to come. We're not to give up a loose heart. We're to be praying for his return. In verse 8, the B portion, it says here, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That is, people faithfully praying for his return. Such a prayer is part of the means in bringing about the second coming. Get this. Our praying for the second coming of Christ is part of the means by which God brings about what he has already ordained. God has ends, uh, ends to his, uh, means to his ends. And one of the means to the end of the, that he has determined the second coming of Christ are our prayers. So God has ordained that too. Jesus, come, Lord, send the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not know that that's what God wants you to do and that's what he has chosen to use as one of the means in which, by which to bring his son to birth, back to earth? Also, we must remember James 5.16. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. That's how we're to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your prayers matter. You ought to be passionate about your prayers because they make a difference in the world. They make a difference in terms of what God is going to do. Somehow we can't understand all that. That's okay because we're creatures. He's the creator. He's just told us what he's doing and tells us how we're to do it. And all we need to do is obey, right? Don't let the wrong attitude about the sovereignty of God and prayer destroy your passion for prayer. 
Rather, it ought to encourage you because you know your prayers are going to be answered. God has ordained that they will be answered, so you're not praying amiss. God is going to do it, but he says, you've got to pray. How good of God to let us be in on what he is doing. Do think about this. He doesn't need us. You do understand we weren't around when Genesis 1-1 occurred. <laughs> in the beginning, God. I figure if he can create a whole universe in six literal days, which he did, he doesn't really need me to do anything. But he lets us be a part of it. By our prayers. Bringing the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. In the meantime, while we're living that interim, that time between the first and second comings of Christ, while we're waiting for the Lord to come, those who genuinely seek the fulfillment of God's moral will will live in submission to Him. Their obedience to God the Father will uh, evidence that they really are his children. And we're going to get to it later as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount and expound upon it more fully. But for now, I want you to see something here. This is an eschatological truth. It bears upon present living. Look here in Matthew seven twenty one. Look what it says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Get the next clause. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. You get that? It's not a profession of faith. It's not a matter of respectfully saying to Jesus, Lord, Lord. Jesus said, no, 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 no. But the one who does the will of my Father, those who practice it, those who live it out, not perfectly none do but the reality is we will do that if we belong to him we'll experience the fullness of his kingdom be there in the final reality of it those who do the will of the father those are the people who have entered the kingdom theirs is the kingdom Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 they are beatitude people they are people whose lives have been transformed by the grace of God in the new birth Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Verse 46. Jesus is always ministering. And verse 46 says, While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said in verse 47, Behold, your mother and your brother are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. You get that? Those who do the will of God the Father in heaven, 
his moral will, because their hearts have been transformed, they've uh, come to him by faith, grace, grace through faith, they're in God's family. They're related to Jesus as his spiritual siblings. So you see the, the theme there, <laughs> the will of his father. Living out his will. Living out his will. A couple of places I think we're about to con conclude this. First Thessalonians chapter 5. First Thessalonians chapter 5. They're talking about something particular. Has to take, who they're going to marry, what job should they take and all that. Uh, I'm not addressing that this morning. But I will tell you this. There are some things you can know with crystal clarity, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Living out his will in this area. First Thessalonians 4, 3. You're there? It says this. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is it? That you abstain from sexual immorality, fornication. There it is. That's the will of God. So while you're running around trying to find out something that's not in the scripture about the will of God, obey that which is in the will of God. It's in the scripture, right? It's clear. None has to scratch his head about that. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 is another expression of the will of God. We are to be filled with the Spirit, right? We're to be influenced by the Spirit continuously. He is to influence our life, our decision, our thinking all the time. He is to fill us. Uh, be being filled is how it, it could be stated there. It's the will of God. This is the will of God will do. When you do the will of God, this is how it's seen in your life. Well, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is to be our prayer. Because God is infinite, R.T. France says, and we are finite because God is holy and we are corrupt. Because God is omniscient and we are foolish and ignorant. And because God is good and we are evil. We trust that he knows what he is doing. Consequently, we pray, your will be done. We submit to his will. We trust his plan. I think he knows what he's doing. I agree with R.T. France, and we can trust him to do his will, and we can trust him as we do his will in our life, right? May God help us to do his will, be the answer to this prayer in our own personal life on earth let us bow together in prayer we thank you our father for the word of God the living word of God it's transforming power we thank you that it is your will to save 
You save sinners. You save men who will, by your work in them, humble themselves, turn away from their sin, and embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Thank you that you're delaying long. You're not slow in coming as some men count slackness, Lord. You're not willing that any should perish, but that all men may, that all may come to repentance. Grant repentance to someone here today. Help us as believers to continue to pray that your kingdom will come and, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we increasingly be aligned with your purpose and your plans. Having our minds set on things above, not on things on the earth. Concerned with that which ultimately matters. Work that in every heart of every believer in this room and who is listening uh, live by live stream. Pray you do it all for your glory. For your praise. That your name will be hallowed in this place and beyond. And we ask in the glorious name of our glorious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.